0: Well, good morning to you again. I wonder this morning if you have ever been if you 've ever traveled and, and uh, you arrived home and when you arrived home, you were missing something, where could it be? When you left whatever you started from, it was you had it, but when you arrived home, it wasn't there. It ever happened to anybody? Did you ever leave anything when you're traveling? I think I could give you some examples of that this morning, but you have your own now. The reason I mention that is because um, sometimes along the Christian pathway, for example, if I were to go back to the time of Martin Luther and talk about this morning, talk about the great restoration to the body of Christ of some of the most fundamental teaching involving what it meant to be born again and salvation by faith, then we could talk about that this morning. It was the restoration of a doctrine to the Christian church then uh, when the time of john wesley arrived and john wesley was very instrumental in restoring to the church and i say restoring because all these truths were there at the beginning but somehow they had been misplaced along the way and so through the ministry of john wesley there was restored to the church the doctrine and the teaching of entire sanctification and what it meant to be consecrated entirely consecrated to the lord and to his purposes. This was not a strange teaching, a new teaching, but it was restored because it had been lost somehow along the way. Since the time of John Wesley, some of these teachings that were restored by Wesley and others have been lost again along the way. So when we arrive where we are today, there are many sound doctrines, wonderful teachings for the church really fundamental to the message of the church and the teachings of salvation that have been lost, misunderstood, altered in some way. Something has been changed. Something has been left out. Following the... And and there's a sense in which this has been progressive in the church age. Then we come to the great uh, Pentecostal revivals and the azusa street and the manifestation of the of the spirit and revival all throughout the world at the beginning of the 20th century and all of these are doctrines that were designed and intended and are designed intended to build one upon the other they're to complement each other they're all part of the teachings of the of the scripture but unfortunately some of the truths of these teachings have been lost or misplaced along the way. And I want to say to you this morning that that's true of the teachings of entire sanctification, also true about the teachings of the baptism or the fullness of the Spirit and the restoration of the gifts of the Holy Spirit to the body of Christ, that the teachings that were restored through those ministries, much of that teaching has been lost along the way so that what we arrive at today As we assemble today in large part throughout the Christian church, there is a misunderstanding of much of this doctrine. I want to go back this morning to some of the fundamentals I hope, desire, that you brought a very healthy appetite with you this morning because what we're going to talk about this morning is not milk, but it is um, solid food this morning, solid food this morning. So I invite you to... uh, come up to the table of the Lord, and we'll all partake, myself included, with you this morning. I want to share this morning with you about the altar. This is the altar. And my hope this morning is that this period of time that we spend together will be starting now, right to the end. This is an altar call. That's what this is this morning. This is an altar call. And each of us has an opportunity this morning as we proceed, we have an opportunity to come to the Lord and to receive from Him, to actually come to His altar and to to receive what He has for us to receive today. So this is not just a message this morning that we hear, listen to, and then we go and talk about everything else. This is a message this morning that we are intended to participate in receive from, to respond to, not tomorrow, not this afternoon, but now, to respond to now, while we are discussing these great truths from the scripture this morning. There is a hymn that uh, Pat will put on the screen that I have put up for her. It's called, uh, Is Your All on the Altar of Sacrifice Laid? And so I'm going to ask Pat if she will go to the If she will go to the chorus only, right now. Just want to make sure we're still working this morning, Ken. Thank you. The chorus is, Is your all on the altar of sacrifice laid? Your heart does the spirit control. You can only be blessed and have peace and sweet rest as you yield him your body and soul. Now that's only the chorus and I'll just uh, put the chorus up for now. But the song was written during a period of time, I believe, before the before the beginning of the 20th century. And it was written at a period of time where some of the things that we'll talk about this morning were being discussed and were, in many parts, well understood. But even if we go back there, even at the very beginning of the unfolding of some of these teachings to the body of Christ. There was a tendency for the doctrines to be taken too far or not far enough. And so this morning we come back again and we talk about uh, the altar. So I want, to, um, I want to see if we can do it this way this morning, and we can. So we'll just proceed this way. This is a diagram or a picture Of the tabernacle in the wilderness as you can see the various furnishings of the tabernacle in the wilderness but the item of furniture or furnishing that we want to talk about this morning is not included in this picture in this picture outside in this area you see a laver and those who ministered in the tabernacle would wash themselves in this laver but it is the next picture that we want to look at this morning This is a picture of the altar, and on the altar, outside the enclosure of the tabernacle in the wilderness, but inside the outer boundary, was the altar of sacrifice. I want to direct your attention this morning to Exodus chapter 29. You might like to follow along, and I'm going to put the scriptures up for us so that if you would like to just read them with me this morning, then we'll do that. Exodus chapter 29, verse 35 and 36. It says, And thus shalt thou do unto Aaron and to his sons, according to all things which I have commanded thee, seven days shalt thou consecrate them. And thou shalt offer every day a bullock for a sin offering for atonement, and thou shalt cleanse the altar. Underline that in your mind. Thou shalt cleanse the altar. When thou hast made an atonement for it, and thou shalt anoint it to sanctify it. Now, something very important is about to occur. It's important that we say at the very beginning that all of this, all of these things, the tabernacle in the wilderness, all of its furnishings, we've said this many times, but all these are typical. They are intended to illustrate truths of the new covenant, these are all part of the old covenant the way in which the nation of Israel approached God, but they all testify to and point to and illustrate and typify the great spiritual truths of the new covenant, the new covenant. So they are all fulfilled in Messiah Jesus. Every one of them is fulfilled in him and in the teachings of salvation to be delivered from sin and its power to be consecrated to the service of the Lord, to be equipped for ministry. How many of us think about the necessity of being equipped for ministry? But all of these are types and illustrations of this tremendous truth. When Jesus was confronted with the religious leaders of his own day who rejected him, did not accept him, for finding fault with him, One of the things he said to them, he said, uh, Search the scriptures. Now, when he said search the scriptures, he's talking about the Old Testament that we have. He said, For in them you believe that you have eternal life. But he said, These things testify of me. These things testify of me. On the road to Emmaus, Jesus talking to the two travelers and he opened up the scriptures to their understanding in a way that they could see for the first time that these things that had been spoken about and written about in all of the scriptures were actually fulfilled in Messiah Jesus, that he is the Messiah. And so now what we want to do is we want to look at this approach to God and this worship in the tabernacle in the wilderness, especially with regard to the altar, Because what we need to see this morning is how that relates to ourselves. How that relates to ourselves. Again, verse 36, And thou shalt offer every day a bullock for a sin offering. There were several different kinds of offerings. For an atonement, and thou shalt cleanse the altar, when thou hast made an atonement for it, and thou shalt anoint it to sanctify it. Now, this is very important that the altar would be sanctified. Because the altar would be the place upon which the sacrifice would be laid. The sacrifice must be laid upon an altar that is holy, sacred, consecrated to God, sanctified is the word, made holy, made acceptable. And so atonement is made for the altar according to the tabernacle in the wilderness and the instructions given to Moses on Mount Sinai. And again, remember that these all typify the message of salvation. They find spiritual fulfillment now. Spiritual fulfillment now. As there was an altar then, there is an altar now. As the altar then must be holy and sanctified, the altar now is holy and sanctified and able to receive sacrifices. Now, there is a relationship between the altar and the sacrifices that would be placed upon the altar. We want to see in just a moment what the altar is now. The altar now that we approach is not the altar of the tabernacle in the wilderness or the temple in Jerusalem. There is a different altar now. If you read John chapter 17, verses 18 and 19, the words of Jesus speaking, he said, Thou, as this is in the, just before he goes to the cross, the great high priestly prayer. As thou hast sent me into the world, even so have I also sent them into the world. And for their sakes, notice the words, and for their sakes I sanctify myself that they also might be sanctified through the truth. The truth is personified in Jesus. So he's saying, and for their sakes I sanctify myself, consecrate myself for their sakes, that they also might be sanctified or consecrated or made acceptable to God through the church, through the truth, or through himself. Messiah Jesus is the altar of the new covenant. Not the altar in the tabernacle in the wilderness, but Jesus himself as Messiah, as our great high priest. The altar outside the tabernacle in the wilderness would point and illustrate to Messiah himself. He's talking about the fact that he would sanctify himself Consecrate himself so that he would receive the sacrifices in himself, upon himself. Exodus again, chapter 29 and verse 37. Going back, we'll go back and forth this morning between the old and the new. The old and the new. Now, in the old, seven days thou shalt make an atonement for the altar and sanctify it and It shall be an altar most holy. This is marvelous. In other words, it shall be an altar most holy, absolutely holy, perfectly holy. Seven days, and you know that seven uh, stands for completion and perfection. And so the idea is that as the atonement is made for this altar, perfect, full, complete atonement is made for it. So that it will be absolutely perfect and holy and sanctified. The altar itself. Think about Messiah Jesus as holy, perfect, absolutely perfect in every way. Consecrated. Thou shalt make an atonement for the altar and sanctified it, and it shall be an altar most holy. Whatsoever, notice these words, whatsoever touches the altar shall be holy. What does that mean? What, whatever touches the altar must be holy. Now, when I was looking at these passages, my mind went in a couple different directions. Does that mean that it needs to be holy before it touches the altar? Does that mean that anything that touches the altar must be first holy and then touch the altar? Or does it mean that it is made holy by touching the altar? What does it actually mean? This is very important. I want to read the same verse from the Amplified Bible, see if this might be helpful to you. You know, with all due respect, uh, we are at the mercy oftentimes of translators because sometimes in translations, a translation is made according to a point of view that translators have, may may have, and so it is very healthy to uh, compare translations passage to, to passage So the Amplified renders that verse seven days you shall make atonement for the altar and sanctify it, set it apart for God and the altar shall be most holy. Whosoever or whatsoever touches the altar must be holy, set apart for God's service. Well, that would indicate that it must be holy first before it touches the altar. But is that what it is? I'll go to another verse. This is from the complete Jewish Bible. Complete Jewish Bible, the same verse. Seven days you will make an atonement on the altar and consecrate it. Thus the altar will be especially holy. And whatsoever or whatever touches the altar will become holy. Notice a little difference. You notice the difference? Whatever touches the altar now becomes holy. It becomes holy because the altar is holy. So whatever is placed upon the altar now becomes holy not by its own virtue but by virtue of the altar upon which it is placed. That's true in the Old Testament approach and types and shadows but it is wonderfully true in the New Covenant. In order for our sacrifice to be holy and acceptable before God it must be placed upon Messiah Jesus who alone is holy. Absolutely consecrated to God. Now, I want to look at another verse. Is that an aberration? It's not. Holman's Christian Standard Bible. For seven days you must make atonement for the altar and consecrate it. The altar will become especially holy. Whatever touches the altar will become holy. Same idea. Now, as you examine this very, very carefully, through the various scriptures and how they bring this great truth to us and is very important it is the altar that makes the sacrifice holy now if there is still a question in someone's mind about this i want to go to a verse in matthew chapter 23 and jesus is speaking listen to his very carefully to his words woe unto you he's talking about the uh, pharisees the religious leaders and uh, how that they felt that there were certain things that they could if they took an oath by something that they were obliged to tell the truth if they took an oath by something very sacred <laughs> but if they didn't take an oath upon something very sacred they were not as obliged to tell the truth <laughs> I mean if you, you, you say that's laughable well was very serious that's the way they thought so Jesus is talking now about their thinking and listen to these words Woe unto you, you blind guides, which say, Whosoever shall swear by the temple, it is nothing. But whosoever shall swear by the gold of the temple, he is a debtor. In other words, if he swears by the temple, he's not required to tell the truth. There'll be no consequence if he misleads. But if he swears by the gold of the temple and he misleads, then he's in big trouble. And Jesus is calling them blind guides, which they wear. <coughs> He said, you fools and blind, for whether is greater the gold or the temple that sanctifies the gold. Then he goes on to verse 18. And whosoever shall swear by the altar, it is nothing. But whosoever sweareth by the gift that is upon it, he is guilty. Now listen to this one. Jesus, you fools and blind, for whether is greater or which is greater the gift that is placed on the altar or the altar that sanctifies the gift. And so Jesus is very clearly saying that it is the altar that sanctifies the gift that is placed upon the altar. Now, does that mean then that any gift can be placed upon the altar? Anything that can be placed upon the altar, whatever is placed upon the altar, will be made holy and acceptable to God? No. But the great truth is, even though there will be specifications and requirements for the sacrifice and the way in which the sacrifice may be placed upon the altar, make no mistake that it is not that that qualifies it before God, but it is the altar itself that qualifies it, makes it holy before God. It is Messiah Jesus himself that makes it acceptable what we sacrifice or place upon him. Acceptable to the Father. And so the altar makes the gift uh, acceptable. The altar makes the gift acceptable, holy, sanctified. Now that it is declared holy and acceptable, it belongs to God. Now it belongs to God. He has received it. In the burnt offering, of course, as it was burnt and the smoke of its burning would rise toward heaven, and it was as a sweet-smelling fragrance in the nostrils of God. Now, the sacrifice represents the, the one who offers it. The sacrifice represents the one who offers the sacrifice. And the one who offers the sacrifice receives a manifestation of God's acceptance of it. Have we offered ourselves completely to God in that way? Have we placed ourselves in everything we possess and everything we are ever hope to be? Have we placed ourselves entirely upon Christ Jesus as the altar of the new covenant? Have we come properly in offering our sacrifice? You mean there's a way in which we should come? The answer is yes. John chapter 17, verse just at the bottom. And verse, Chapter 17 and verse 19. The words of Jesus. And for their sakes he said, I sanctify myself that they also might be sanctified. We read it before, I'll read it again though. You see he's saying uh, he would sanctify himself. Now, he did not need a high priest to sanctify himself. He was the high priest. Everything in the old covenant symbols is fulfilled in Messiah Jesus. And so he is the high priest. He is the lamb. He is the atoning sacrifice. He is the altar upon which the sacrifice is placed. It all points to him. And so he said, I sanctify myself, make myself wholly acceptable as an altar, that they who come to me also might be sanctified or made holy or acceptable to God and received by him. I'll go back to Exodus again, chapter 29, starting at verse 38. Now this is that which thou shalt offer upon the altar. Now here we come to something a little bit. You see, there are specifications or requirements upon in terms of what will be offered on the altar. You can't just offer anything on the altar. It says two lambs of the first year, day by day, continually. In other words, now we come to the idea of a perpetual sacrifice. And the idea that burnt offering will be offered perpetually or continually. And this is the way we approach Messiah Jesus. We do not approach Messiah Jesus one time in our lives and say, at a certain day in my life, I approached him and I gave myself entirely to him, unreservedly in every way. And I have evidence that he accepted of me. I was accepted in the beloved by the father. But it is a perpetual, ongoing offering that we make. It goes on and says, The one lamb thou shalt offer in the morning, and the other thou shalt offer at Eden. What if they had offered it at noon? What if they had offered a lamb that was two years old and three years old? What if they had taken a lamb that was about to die because it was diseased or sick and said, well, why don't we offer this lamb? Because, you know, it's not going to be around... And we can't be benefited by it anymore. It doesn't, it doesn't, I mean, there's no value in it. So we'll just offer it. This would have been an abomination. The altar would never have made that holy or acceptable to God because it would have been offered improperly. And we can't say that we can just come any old way And place ourselves upon the altar of Christ Jesus and expect to be received of the Father. There is a way in which we must come. It goes on, and there's a lot of detail, and it says, And with the one lamb, a tenth deal of flour. I'm going to read it all because it's very important, because there's specificity. And with the one lamb, a tenth deal of flour mingled with the fourth part of a hin of beaten oil and the fourth part of a hin of wine for a drink offering. And the other lamb thou shalt offer at evening, and shall do thereto, according to the meat offering of the morning, and according to the drink offering thereof, for a sweet savor, an offering made by fire, this' is the burnt offering unto the Lord. This shall be a continual burnt offering through your generations. You see, there's perpetuity here. there's ongoing. You continue in this way. And you will make this offering at the door. Listen to this. You will make this offering at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation before the Lord. I want you to think about this in terms of the new covenant now. You will make it before the Lord where I will meet you to speak there unto thee. This is a place I will meet you. And there is a place where I will speak to you. And the place I will meet you and speak to you is at the place after the altar of sacrifice, burnt offering, according to specifications, has been made. There I will meet with you. And there I will reveal or manifest myself to you. This is absolutely wonderful. I pray that all of us have eyes to see and ears to hear. This is absolutely wonderful. Good news, indeed, for every person. We just have to come in the right way. Let me go to the next passage in Exodus. And, and it says, And there I will meet with the children of Israel. And the tabernacle shall be sanctified by my glory. I want to ask you, where's the tabernacle now? In the light of the New Testament, where is the tabernacle? Is it a building in Jerusalem? And the answer is no, it is not a building in Jerusalem. You, individually and collectively, are the tabernacle. You are the place that will be sanctified by his glory. And I will sanctify the tabernacle of the congregation and the altar. And I will sanctify also both Aaron and his sons to minister to me in the priest's office. I will sanctify both Aaron and his sons to minister to me in the priest's office. There is a qualification that must be met in order to be able to minister unto the Lord. There's a difference between teaching and preaching and singing and different things we call ministry. There's a difference between the outward of that and actually doing that before the Lord as unto the Lord. And there's a qualification that must be made and met. And this involves the burnt offering, and the fulfillment in the New Covenant of presenting ourselves entirely. We're going to read this later as a living sacrifice. Listen to the promises and transfer it now. Transfer it to the New Covenant. And I will dwell among the children of Israel and will be their God. Is God dwelling among His people in the church now? Is He our God now? But there are conditions. There are conditions. When those conditions are met, absolutely confident we must be that God will do what He said He would do when the conditions are met. Let me talk a little bit, just interject this thought here about faith in the Old Covenant. When they came and brought the sacrifice exactly as prescribed, when they brought the sacrifice exactly as it was described and when they brought it at the right time and when they brought it in the right way and when it was presented to the altar in the right way then the offerer of the sacrifice had every reason to believe and absolutely knew as he saw the smoke ascending towards heaven that it was accepted of God the Father. It was accepted of God the Father. Now it belongs to him. And the evidence that he would accept it was given because he said, I will appear to you then before the door of the sanctuary. In other words, I will reveal myself to you. I will make myself known to you when I receive you. I will make myself known to you. This is referred to as the witness of the Spirit in the new covenant. It's wonderful things. And so they had faith and confidence and trust as they came and as they offered the sacrifice. We come the same way now. When we come before the Father, according to the conditions that are made for us to come, then we have the absolute assurance, no doubt whatsoever, that we are accepted of the Father in the Beloved, and that Jesus Christ Himself, as the altar of the new covenant, makes us holy and sanctified before God. And he will surely reveal himself to us. I want to come to the New Testament again. Matthew chapter 5, verse 23 and 24. This is going to talk now about Jesus is talking to us about the way we come to present our gift at the altar. He said, Therefore, if thou bring thy gift to the altar and there remember that your brother has aught against thee, what does that mean? Your brother has a grievance against you. You come to the altar to present your gift. And to us, the gift that we present is not a lamb. The gift we present is ourselves to the altar. The altar is we present ourselves towards Messiah Jesus. And he said, I sanctify myself that you might be sanctified through the truth. But if we come to present ourselves as a living sacrifice... And we come and it, we become aware that someone has a grievance against us. This does not mean that somebody is accusing us of something trivial or inconsequential or without any basis. It means that there is a basis for the grievance. Someone has a grievance against us. Then there is a requirement because this is the way in which we must come. The way in which we must come is the way of repentance. Heart sincerity. Absolutely willingness to forfeit everything of ourselves. The word of faith in the New Testament as opened up and amplified is we take ourselves out of our own keeping and we place ourselves entirely into his keeping. Is this not exactly what we're talking about today? That's what faith is. Faith is to take ourselves out of our own keeping place ourselves entirely into his keeping. So when we come to present ourselves before the Messiah, Jesus, who makes us acceptable in himself to the father, and there's no other way. And there we remember that someone has a legitimate grievance against us. He said, leave your gift there before the altar and go your way and first be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer thy gift, be reconciled to your brother." What does this mean? I will not go into detail this morning, and i just share this by way of example. A number of years ago, when I came into a born-again experience, a number of, I'm going back many years, I realized that there were a few things that I had done when I was younger in my youth that were wrong, but had not been made right. And I was troubled by that, tried to overlook it, tried to ignore it, tried to say different things. I tried to tell myself that I would be forgiven. My forgiveness did not depend on what I did, And I, 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 but I was unsuccessful. There were a series of things I needed to do. I will not go into any detail for obvious reasons. I just want to say this. One particular circumstance where it was necessary for me because I was basically doing the very thing I was coming to present myself before the Lord and it came to me that there was somebody that had a grievance against me for cause, with cause and I made a determination finally on a certain day and I set out in my automobile and I had all these thoughts and concerns about what would happen when I arrived at the destination to meet the individual let me tell you what happened the individual whom I was required to meet met me in route. Met me in route. While I was on my way before arriving at the destination, the very individual whom I had not seen in years met me on the path. And it was a very private place on the path. And I was able to talk to him and he was able to talk to me And I was able to make that right and reconcile. He did not even know, but I did. And the Lord did. So a grievance could be a grievance with regard to goods or materials. You have something that belongs to someone else. You took something that is not yours. You took something that belonged to somebody else. You converted property, a piece of property, an item of value of some kind to yourself, to your own use. And did not recompense the person from whom you took it. It could be that you have said something about someone's reputation. You have stolen a person's reputation. You have, you have said things about an individual that are not true. You have vented your own frustrations against somebody. You owe them an apology. As you stand before God, it comes before you. You must do these things in order to come and present your gift properly. If the gift is not presented properly, the gift will not be received by the altar. And will not be sanctified by the altar and we will be unsanctified unconsecrated not uh, qualified at all to minister before the Lord when we come to offer our gift to Messiah Jesus we must come everything that we do must be consistent with repentance and we must bring forth the fruits of repentance as we come and we must offer it in faith confidence but if it's not brought properly it cannot be offered in confidence in faith it's only when we bring it according to the way the lord said bring it that we can truly offer it in faith john chapter 14 and verse 21 jesus said the one who has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me and the one who loves me will be loved by my father we're reading this because we see after The gift has been offered according to the way in which it is prescribed. Once the gift is offered appropriately, then the Lord receives it. He always declares the fact that he has received it. He said, the one who keeps my commands is the one who loves me, and the one who loves me will be loved by my Father. I also will love him and will reveal or manifest myself to him. Judas, not Judas Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you're going to reveal yourself to us and not to the world? And Jesus answered, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. and My father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. Remember in the old covenants, the Lord said he would reveal himself and manifest himself at the door of the sanctuary after they had offered the burnt offering of sacrifice. This is the New Covenant equivalent to that. It's wonderful. And I'm going to close this morning with Romans chapter 12 and verse 1. I exhort you therefore, brothers, in the view of God's mercies, to offer yourselves as a sacrifice, living and set apart for God. This will please Him. It is the logical temple worship for you. And I'm reading from the complete Jewish Bible. Let me read it one more time and then we'll close. I exhort you, therefore, brothers, in the view of God's mercies, to offer yourselves as a sacrifice, living and set apart for God. This will please Him. It is the logical temple worship for you. And I might add before Ruth comes this morning, this is the key. To ministry in the body of Christ. This is the key to evangelism. This, without any doubt, is the key key to heart purity and victory over sin. This is the key to fruitfulness of life, fruitfulness of ministry, but fruitfulness in the area of the gifts of the Spirit, fruitfulness in the area of entire sanctification before God. This is the key. May the Lord bless and guard us and keep us as He calls us to offer Himself in this way before Him.